and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous who do not need repentance. Or, what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Well, which one of you? None of you, if you're smart, nobody goes hunting for one sheep, leaving 99 where? In the wilderness. Doesn't make any sense at all. Nobody who's trying to make a living out of looking after sheep is going to go hunting for one, putting at risk the entire flock, the other 99. It doesn't make any sense. It's a recipe for economic disaster. Plus, most of the shepherds that we are aware of in this time would have been hired hands. And to get a job as a shepherd, you had to be in serious trouble. You had to be a foreigner. You had to be what we would call today an ex-convict. You had to be somebody that couldn't get any other work. And you're lucky to get this work. Why would you put your master's sheep at risk to, to capture one, even though you could be in trouble for losing one, you'd probably be executed for losing 99. You don't expose the flock for the sake of one. Losing a sheep is the cost of doing business. Or what woman, having ten, ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Well, most probably would... But then, who would then call a party? What are you nuts? Do you know how you got these coins in the first place? This was a dowry. This was the money given to be kept safe that that was the contract between your clan and their clan, which is what built the marriage in the first place. To lose a coin out of your dowry was to lose one of your most important possessions. Who could be so careless as to lose their most important possessions. We've been watching the bushfires raging in New South Wales and in Queensland. And if you've ever lived in a bushfire zone, and some of us do now, 
You need to know where the important stuff is, especially from now on. If you don't know where your passport is, where your birth certificate is, where all the important deeds about your house or any other important information, plus all the heart important information, the photographs and and other memorabilia of your life, if you don't know where they are, the time to look for them is not when the fireys are coming down the road saying it's time to leave. You need to keep that stuff together and you need to know where it is and it needs to be safe. We all know that. How could you lose a coin out of your dowry? And if you did, and then you were fortunate enough to find it, you would keep it quiet. What a position of shame to be in, to have been so lax, to be such a loser, to have lost something like that. No one. Or what woman among you? No one. Which shepherd, which one among you having a hundred sheep? No one. They're strange stories. They're talking about a completely different way of seeing the world. Jesus tells these stories because of the first verse. Because he's being criticised for welcoming sinners. He's being criticised for welcoming people who don't live up to the high standards that you should live up to if you're going to be a decent, ordinary human being. You'll get a go if you have a go. That's the way you live in this country. Hard-working Australians. You never see the word Australians anymore in the press by politicians unless it's prefaced with the word hard-working Australians because there must be other kinds. Well, a lot of you who are on the pension or retired, well, you're not hard-working Australians, so obviously you don't get... And what if you're a kid? You're not a hard-working Australian. You know, it's a pretty narrow group of people. What about all of those of us who can't find a job? Anyway, we know who these people are and Jesus is hanging out with them. So he tells these stories. People who aren't able to keep the rules or who try and then fail all the time. Jesus tells these stories because he's working by a whole different set of rules. See, our rules are all these days about the economy, aren't they? If you ever read, and it's worth doing, read some of the... the, political speeches of people like Robert Menzies or Ben Chifley, two of our most lauded of Prime Ministers, both from different sides, who actually were pretty good friends most of the time, um, uh, uh, from different sides of the political, the so-called political divide that we pretend really exists in Australia. And you read those speeches and they hardly ever mention the economy. But you read the speeches of contemporary politicians and that's pretty much all they address. It's as if everything can be reduced down to what it costs and what it's worth financially. Everything reduced to that. And and a rigid sort of political view around that. For instance, at the moment, our government is very keen on being able to tell us that we have, although half the economists don't think we've got it yet, but we might, have a surplus. Because we need to have a surplus because we need to have a surplus. And if you don't have a surplus, well, you don't have one. And you need to have one, and so we're going to have one. Or we've already got one, depending on when the Prime Minister is talking. But but do you need a surplus, or do you need to eat? You know, you could save a fortune if you moved out of your house and stopped paying rent or sold the house. You'd make a fortune. 
You'd save a lot of money. Why don't you do that? Because it's more important to have somewhere to live than it is to have a surplus. It's not just about economics. Abraham Maslow, the famous American uh, psychologist, has a saying that's been, been come known as Maslow's hammer. And he once said back in the 60s, if the only tool you've got is a hammer, you've, I'm sure you've heard this, then everything begins to look like a nail. If the only tool you've got is a hammer, then everything begins to look like a nail. So everything becomes about what it's worth financially, how much it costs. Unemployed people cost us a lot of money. So obviously we should make that, reduce that cost over and over again. We should drug test unemployed people to make sure that they're not wasting the money that we give them. Because we do it begrudgingly anyway. Because they're not making any money. They're not part of the economy. They're not hard-working Australians. Even though more and more economists are now telling us that if you give people money and you give it to them in the right way, they'll spend it. And one of the big problems we've got in our economy at the moment is it's stalled because we're not spending enough money. Well, the reason most of us aren't spending enough money is because we haven't got enough. I'd go out and buy a flat-screen TV tomorrow if you gave me a bit more money. And that would be brilliant for the economy. That'd be good for me too because I'd have a nice new TV. But So one of the arguments is, well, if you give people who are unemployed a slight boost in their new start allowance, what are they going to do with it? Buy stocks and shares? Nope. Put it in the bank? Nope. They're going to go out and buy the things that we wish we could sell more of. Food, dairy products, household essentials. What's the most important thing? It's not the economy. In fact, there really isn't any such thing as an economy, is there? There's only a society and how we choose to do things. There's no real thing called the economy. There's us and how we choose to do stuff. And Jesus is telling this story, these stories, to kind of upend this experience. It's not about whether something is economic or uneconomic. It's about, is it just and fair? Is it helping people to flourish as human beings? Parenting is not an economic good idea. It's cost a fortune. You, as a child, cost your parents an enormous amount of money. And you didn't thank them for it much. Probably, did you? I know I didn't. Till I started to have my own kids, I thought, goodness, this has cost me a fortune. My parents did this for years. And here I am doing it for years. Nobody becomes a parent because it's a good economic decision. There's a whole other thing going on there. At the bottom end of Manhattan at the moment is two huge holes in the ground in one of the most expensive parts of, of the, the world to buy real estate. It's the footprint of the two towers uh, of the World Trade Center. And we, this week, we marked 18 years since that tragedy. Now, the smart thing to do when they cleared the site of all the rubble would have been to build more towers because that land is worth an absolute fortune. But they didn't. They built two memorials. They're literally, if you've ever had the privilege of going, they're literally holes in the ground with water pouring in. It's one of the most moving things that I've ever seen. And it takes up this enormous area of downtown Manhattan. It, worth who knows how many 
millions and millions and millions of dollars, particularly if you went right up so you could sell all the, the, the floors into offices or homes because there's something much more important than money. And 18 years on, it's just as important that if we're there, we remember and we try and commit ourselves to a different kind of world. But that's the big picture. There's something else going on in these stories as well because Jesus tells these stories about two people who just cannot get their act together. You've only got a hundred sheep. How can you lose one of them? You've only got this small group of coins that is your dowry that you're supposed to hang on to forever. It's supposed to be the most precious thing. And you've lost one. How can this be? They're both losers. Literally, they've both lost. But they kind of, they look hapless. They, they just can't quite get their act together. And these are the people Jesus uses to tell a story. So what's the world of God like? What is the kingdom of God? As Jesus uses it, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, this idea that, that Jesus sees the world completely differently. And that God sees it completely differently and wants a different kind of world. Well, what's it like? Well, first of all, it's full of losers. People who just can't quite get it together. People who can keep a really good list, not of all the things they've done well, but of all the things they've failed at, all the mistakes they've made, all the opportunities they've missed out on, all the things they do over and over again that trip to trip themselves up. It's full of people like us. And then what happens? Well, they are losers, but they get a party at the end of the story. The shepherd has a party and he probably cooks a sheep. Which makes you wonder, doesn't it? (laughs) He doesn't care about economy. The woman has a party even though it exposes her silliness at losing a part of her dowry. There's a party, there's a a, a sense of welcome. Because you know the people who are supposed to have parties, you can see them on any magazine you like. It's the rich people. They're the ones that have the parties because they can afford it. But here's two people who have a party even though they've screwed up, even though they've messed it up, even though they've made a mistake and they, it may not be the first time. They've, they have a party. It's like people who are failing and who are in that half of the life, the ones that, that our Prime Minister is not talking about when he talks about hard-working Australians. They're the ones that get to live as if they were the wealthy. They have a party. It's, some, it's not hiding failing, but being honest about it and truthful. Because it turns out we're all like that. It turns out we've all got a long list of the things we know. We hope we've hidden from everyone else, but we know. We're the ones welcomed in. It's like the last being first. It's a whole other way of being. It releases us from the narrow boundaries that we put around ourselves. Releases us into a life of joy, which is what a party represents. 
a life of joy. So be it.